Welcome to another episode of the Phoenix Rising podcast. I am your host, Lisa Hillier, and today I have Randell Lusk with me. Randell is a yoga teacher and life coach. She is an avid seeker and deep inquirer. She has lived much of her life in her head, and most of her own work is in giving her body and heart permission to speak and to guide her. In this episode, Randella and I dive into grief as a teacher, hunting in the dark and living in the light, psychedelics, and allowing the masks to fall away. Can't wait to dig in. So to start, I'm going to hand it over to Randell, and we're going to dive into, or, or she's going to dive into the story that has led her to the work that she is doing on the planet at this time. So welcome, Randell. Thank you for having me, Lisa. It's a pleasure to um, join you in your podcast. Um, where to begin? I mean, <clears throat> I've been teaching yoga for I think it's been 12 or 13 years at this point. Uh, not so much in the past couple years because of, well, we all know why. <laughs> um, but I'll go back to, I'll start kind of in the beginning and fast forward some steps, some, some of the steps along the way to where, what the past two years has been for me because they actually, even though I haven't been teaching, it has been um, a significant time of learning about myself. Um, so I started practicing yoga, not very long before I started teaching yoga. And when I first started practicing yoga, I got into it because of an injury and I had a chiropractor that was, that was like, Oh, try yoga. This, this could help you rehabilitate. And I was, I was pretty fit at the time. I was doing a lot of um, running races, like, like cross country, uh, running races. And so the truth is I sort of had this little crush on my <laughs> chiropractor. So I listened to him and I went to a yoga class and, um, it was in Calgary. And at the time I was working in the oil and gas industry downtown. And so I found this studio and I, I would go to this class and I remember the first class just like sweating and pouring with sweat. It was just the most difficult physical activity that I had done. Uh, and I was shocked because I had thought I was in like such a good shape. <laughs> and so I, I started to feel, you know, it was, it was a, I kept going back because initially it was just so physically challenging for me. And I really loved to sweat and move my body and, I really love um, physicality. And at the time, I was still, I grew up in a religious household. And so yoga at that time, I, I didn't know a lot about yoga, but I had this idea that yoga was um, one religion. And I, with that, I, I also had the idea that I shouldn't be there because it wasn't my religion. So when I would go to class, I would make a, a, a point of blocking out anything that the teachers said other than physical cues. And I practiced like that for 
months and months and months and my practice went um eventually I start was going to yoga basically every single day um of the week and I so I'm blocking out what teachers were saying in terms of philosophy just listening to just listening to the physical cues I wasn't engaging with anybody in the studio I would practice at the front of the studio so that um I could almost like pretend I was the only person in the room. So I don't have to like really engage with anybody around me. And I was also very shy at that point in my life. And um, yeah, very shy. But I remember coming up from Shavasana one day and having this like very, very, um, this a physical sensation come out from inside of me and it just like it just surfaced and and it was a feeling of existence it was the first time i'd ever felt existence in my my whole life and a feeling of oh my god i belong here and so that was very surprising to me because it wasn't a belong it wasn't a sense of like oh i like these people that i'm spending this time with or i'm really buying into these concepts and these ideas it was just this it was something that was so innately in me and it was, it was mine. Um, and that felt so powerful. And from that day forward, I started to notice that when the light bounced off the buildings, downtown Calgary, it was just a little bit sh more shimmery and, you know, things just started to, to have this like glitter of magic to them. And I soon, soon after I, I had this sort of like coming to Jesus moment, this coming to God moment, um, I started to re started to reconsider my priorities in life. And, um, and I decided to move back home at that time. And back home was so that I could leave my office job to go and be more in the environmental field work of my job so um, yeah working in the environment and at that time was when the economy was struggling and by the time i left my current job and got home uh, the economy had suffered so badly that all of the environmental jobs that i had like options that i had lined up completely disintegrated so i was i had moved back home i had no job and i lived in a town that didn't have a yoga studio. And so I decided, well, jeepers, if I'm going to be here, then I, I need yoga. So I, I decided to go and do my teacher training. And um, long story short, as I opened a yoga studio six months after finishing my teacher training, which is so crazy it's almost obnoxious <laughs> to think about um but i had that studio for seven years and we built um i trained all the teachers that worked for me well most of the teachers that worked for me and uh, we built a really beautiful amazing community and i can't remember exactly what year in i was but i i ended up buying a studio with my cousin in Airdrie and that's how I ended up in Calgary. Uh, we had that, sh that studio for a couple of years and eventually um, moved on from that. And I moved on from my studio back home 
and moved to Vancouver. And so now I'm in Vancouver and I've been, I was teaching in Vancouver full time prior to um, COVID closing all the studios. Mm, beautiful. I love that journey with the yoga and how it um, took you. What it felt like for me is just like an invitation to come into your body. And I would love to know like that moment where it was like the come to Jesus <laughs> moment of existence within the self. Is there any like further words that you can give that of what that actually was? It's like in the moment, we don't really know what those moments are, but then looking back, it can be like, oh, that was awareness or God or, and does anything come to mind for you of what that actually was? Yeah. It just like, I mean, it, it felt like, it felt like I existed and I, I hadn't felt that before in my life. And having grown up in, um, in a, in a household that was religious, like I saw that in my family members, but that wasn't something that I had experienced for myself. Um, or I saw what I I think was what they experienced for themselves, but I hadn't experienced for myself. And, and so it just, and, and now like as you know, 10, I guess, 15 or so years later, I, what I, I realize or how I've explained it before is it was like, it was something that was already in me. So when I, when I started to learn more about yoga philosophy, it was just so familiar. It was like, it already existed in me. And, and so that's, that's what I consider as, is, um, is deep alignment with self. And I follow a non-dualistic um, ideology. I, I, I think that we are not separate from, like I am not separate from God. God is not separate from me. And so that's what I mean by that, that first awakening is it, it felt like I was filled with something. And that, that feeling was that of existence. Um, it was an expansive feeling. It was kind of like an awestruck feeling. It's not like there was like a beam of light <laughs> shining on me, but that's sort of how it felt, you know, it's sort of how it felt. And I kind of live in this philosophy that we all, we all have our specific sort of thread to align with. And, it, or sometimes I like to visualize it as like a portal and through that portal is, um, like, uh, it's a portal to source. And, and if there was light beaming through it, and that is how I actually do visualize it is that the more aligned you are, the more fully stepped you stepped into that pillar of light that you are. So that like all of your brightness is exposed and like, you're just, you're aligned with higher consciousness. You're aligned with, with something greater, which is also yourself. But when we, when we get distracted by what others are doing, or we look towards what others are doing, we start to kind of nudge out of that, our own vein of light. And so my dad, he, when he taught me how to drive, um, cause I, I grew up in the North and really, really rough highways, like very icy, snowy. And, and, and when he taught me how to drive, 
he said, at some point you're going to hit the ditch. When you hit the ditch, don't look at the telephone pole because you'll hit the telephone pole. And so that's sort of the concept. Like it's a, it's an idea that I, philosophy that I live by is like, look where you want to go. Don't look at what somebody else is doing. You're going to hit the telephone pole. And so as soon as we start to look out at other people, we start to migrate out of our own sort of portal of connection. And so I had spent so many years prior to that come to Jesus moment in that yoga studio, looking at whether what other people were doing and not knowing where I fit into all of that. And so what I can say about the, there's something about the physicality, straight up the physicality of that practice that can bring you closer to that alignment. Now, I, I won't necessarily go so far to say that is, that is just physical, that just the physicality can do it, but it sure got me a darn long way. Um, and, and it gave me a re- it gave me a really good foundation to start with. Beautiful. I love that. Like first that like beam of light, it felt like a remembering. It's like an awakening mm-hmm. coming home to yourself. Yeah. Like, Cause yes, it was always there and it was just reactivated and awakened. And, you know, when I was teaching in studios or I still do a little bit, but it's like people would come to me and be like, Oh, it's just a physical practice. It's just a physical practice. And I'm like, you wait, like it is. Just going you to wait. You. <laughs> totally. It's going to find you. It's going to find you and crack you open. Totally. Like um, never been cracked open before. And so for you, cause you spoke about, you know, kind of blocking out all the other cues other than the physical, was there a moment that you started listening to them or did they just mm. seek in? And awaken something within? Really good question. When I went and did my teacher training, the <laughs> this is the funny thing is I actually didn't know a lot about when I went to my teacher training, I thought it was just going to be physical. I did not consider that there would be philosophy, that there would be chanting, that there would be meditation. Like I went in very blind. <laughs> I just knew it was something that I wanted to do. And I knew it was something that not only wanted to do, but needed to do because the feeling I had felt in that studio that day, it was like, it was just something I knew other people needed to and deserved to feel for themselves. So that was that I wanted to share that with other people. And so blindly, I went into this teacher training in Costa Rica and the teacher, she was really smart and very traditional and a little bit, no, she was very strict to the point where she was almost terrifying. No, she, she actually just was terrifying. Everybody was afraid of her. And so the philosophy was actually very heady and I didn't get it. So I would sit in lectures and it just like went over my head. Um, con- like consciously, I didn't get it, but I won't say that subconsciously, I, that was the same case, right? So, so the philosophy was pretty lost on me at that time. I, I do remember chanting that when we went, we did mantra and just like shaking with like complete terror. And, um, I was terrified and going up to the teacher afterwards and being like, I, this is, this is really scary for me. This is like against the religion I was raised in or so I, I thought, and she just didn't know what to do with me. 
And I remember, like, I thought, God, I never want somebody to feel that way in a class with me. I never want them to feel like, like this, this is against what somebody believes within them or feels like it's something that, that anybody can just do. Right. So one piece that kind of held me to helped me get through that is, um, I can't remember. It might be an Iyengar quote. It says, um, it's either Iyengar or Krishna. I think it's Krishnamachara actually that he said that yoga is for every person of any creed. And so that was, that was a really important, um, piece of, of like, that was just a really important thing for me to carry with me. So the philosophy part, I, I got more into it when I went and did my, I did my advanced yoga teacher training and my teacher for that training was, um, she had a really good grasp on yoga philosophy and she was really patient with me in the limited knowledge that I had walking into that training. Um, and she was really, um, she was very compassionate with and patient with me with the chanting and the mantra. And mantra isn't something I teach anymore um, <clears throat> for, for various reasons that I don't know are necessary to get into in this conversation. But um, I just really appreciated how she was just so patient and compassionate with me um, in, in developing that interest and, and sharing that knowledge. And then it, it was like, it just caught fire for me where philosophy became, has become such a, it's just so, so delicious for me now in, in life. Mm, beautiful. I love that. Um, that teacher or quote, I think it was a quote where it was just, it's, it's for everybody. Like there's mm -hmm. aspects of, you know, maybe all religions in yoga and is yoga yes. actually a religion? No, exactly. You know, it's, it's exactly. Really union with the self, with the body, with the mind, with the spirit. And there's so many different portals that that can take us to. And there's so many different threads. Mm -hmm. are, are uh, absolutely. As well. So it's such a, I always think of our past as like, you know, the, the tapestry of life and each and every one of our paths weave in different ways and form different modalities or take in different modalities. And it's all, it's all, you know, for every, for our highest good, it's all necessary. Mm -hmm. It's all, all such, it's all valid. That's the word. Yeah. It at. is all valid. Yeah. Yeah. I, it, it I think of a story or a part of a book that I read a number of years ago. Um, the book is called Little Princes and it's about a fella that, have you read that before? No, no. it's, it's a really beautiful read. I really enjoyed it. And the, the fellow who wrote it is telling a story about how, when he finished, I think it was grad school. He took a year off to go and travel the world and to justify it to his family. He started in, uh, I believe it was, I think it was Tibet. I'm, I'm missing the country now, but let's just say it was Tibet and um, working in an orphanage. And he ended up staying in this orphanage instead of traveling through for the rest of the year. He just stayed there forever. And, and towards the end of the book, he's talking about how he meets this Christian woman. And he's, I, I can't remember if he identified as agnostic or atheist, but one of the two. And he meets this Christian woman. And he he's falls in love with her, but she refuses to engage in that in a 
in an intimate or romantic relationship with him because she is very clear of what she believes in. And so he starts to read the Bible just to, um, you know, to sort of like woo her. And then as he's reading it, he starts to like to actually simulate it and understand it and feel like it's something of his own. And he's really conflicted by this because his motivation was his intention was was a bit murky when he first started reading the bible and so he he goes to his roommate who is a buddhist man and he tells him about this this like this how he feels conflicted and the buddhist response is um it's not how you found god it's the fact that you did found god find you did find god and that there's many paths one god so I just, I really love that concept. It doesn't matter how, it's that you do. And, and that your own, we, like I have a very strong belief that we have our own unique concept and identity with God. It's like, it's as unique as a fingerprint. And that was something that, um, that has like felt very, very real and clear to me, especially in, in the past couple of years. Um, and, and with, you know, when I speak with my family about their religious beliefs and, um, yeah, it's just, it's so individual. Yeah. Yeah. Our pathway is so unique and the the point maybe isn't what happens along the way. I mean, that comes into play for sure. Our dark nights of the soul, maybe we hop timelines at different places or, or do things that maybe aren't of our highest good, but it's, it's that we're on the path and we're, we're leading mm-hmm. to our truest essence of the self. And, and, and then we arrive and that's such a beautiful, beautiful place to arrive in. And so for you coming from the yogic background, and then how did you navigate and move into the life coaching? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> pardon me. I was working with yoga teacher training groups for a number of years and I can't remember how many years ago it was. It doesn't matter, but I I had a woman who was doing her master's in psychology and she had been practicing with me for a while. And then she decided to do this training and she came up to me after one of our sessions where we're basically doing, I don't want to say group therapy, but I don't, that's sort of what she, that's what she said to me. She said, you realize what you're doing is group therapy, right? And I was like, Ooh, yeah, I guess. And, and I thought she was going to be upset by it because, you know, she's actually going to do that. You know, I, my, my concern was that she was going to be like, you shouldn't do this or something. And, and she, she said, you know, you're actually, you're really gifted at this. Would you consider pursuing it more formally? And so I, I was, I mean, I felt that was such a huge compliment, especially coming from her. And, and, um, so I considered, I did consider going down the, the path of, um, therapist. I, I did some counseling courses and I, the, the truth is, is, is there is a part of me that would love to venture fully down the path of, of a, becoming an, an actual therapist. Um, I, I don't know if I actually want to put that much time into it. So it's the the honest answer. And so I decided to go and, and, 
take the road of coaching. And, um, and so that's, that's where, where the coaching came from is I have, you know, I love psychology. I love how the brain works. I love, um, psychoanalyzing people. And, and I also have always, I've always had it in me to, I, I just like really love to be organized and to come up with ideas of how to go forward. And, um, and I love, I love to be motivated. I love to motivate other people. I love like that enthusiasm that can come with coaching and the, the nitty gritty that can come with coaching as well. Yeah. And coaching and yoga just work so well together because as a yoga teacher, I mean, the path of yoga is deep within. And so your Mm -hmm. students or the people that you're guiding are going deep within and it's such a, a space, a way to hold space and for them just to hold the space for them to have their own human experience with the practice, mm-hmm. whatever comes up with that. And so they kind of go hand in hand together. So what a, what a beautiful offering with the two. And so you spoke briefly of it at the beginning, just kind of like this part two, the past two years of like deep, introspection and learning so you've kind of been teaching the yoga doing the life coaching and then what kind of came what what came with that where there's been a a deep healing we'll call it that's maybe taken place over these past two years or deep deep learning yeah um yeah there was a lot of a lot of deep in the past two years and and hmm, how do I begin this um so, I mean, uh, first, I want to recognize that I, I feel like most people have gone through a lot of depth in the past couple of years. There's people have faced a lot of um, pain. <clears throat> there, there's been a lot of confronting. Um, there's just been so much confrontation in, in life, period, I think, over the past two years for everyone. My experience over the past two years has been, especially in 2020, was quite different from the pandemic experience. Um, I, I refer to it as like the storm that swallowed the storm. And so soon after my, uh, sorry, soon after the, the pandemic sort of broke loose and, and um, there was all of that this uncertainty that started to come up. Uh, my, my dad was actually um, unexpectedly diagnosed with terminal cancer. And, and, uh, so I, it, I, it really just, it, it caught me off guard, frankly. And I had we were all in a place of, you know, wondering how we were going to adjust or if we needed to adjust or what, what living in a COVID world meant. And then that just all didn't matter anymore. Um, I went back home and to be with my family and, um, that was a really confronting thing for me because I was the one that had left and I'm, I'm the youngest of three kids. I have two older brothers. They have their own families and their own children. And there was a lot of family dynamics in play. And, and 
I at one point would have referred to myself as like the black sheep of the family. I've stopped using that term so much. Uh, there's still aspects about me that are very much like would make me the outlier of the family. Um, I for left, for instance, I also um, left my family's real, the religion that I grew up in at, um, at one point or, or have left the religion that I grew up in. And so when I went back home, there were a number of things that I, I just felt I was so outside of their world in many ways. And I had been feeling that for a really long time. And when faced with losing my dad, there came a point where it just became really evident that I, I didn't have time to fuck around anymore. I didn't have time to hide anymore. And I realized um, that we were seeming as we were out of time. and. If I didn't show up for him and for the rest of my family, he would never see me as myself. And he deserved to have all of me. And so as I watched my family, myself included, um, us all fall apart with this, with the diagnosis and what would be, you know, him passing away as we all face that each of us fell apart in our own way. And, um, it occurred to me that I was equipped to move through this and be in this with some degree of grace and presence. And I realized that, you know, my toolbox was so full and that I, I knew how to, I knew that moving my body was so necessary for keeping the right chemicals moving through my body. I knew that meditation was important. I knew that keeping um, a clean diet was important. I knew that good sleep hygiene was important. I knew that journaling and writing were, well, that actually became more and more evident as I went through the process with um, alongside of my dad and, and my family. And so I made a decision very early on to come back to that ritual, that routine of my practices every single morning. And so that was, an, that was something I was doing for myself, but, but it was in doing that for myself, I knew that even though it would be, it was often imperfect, it was the only way I could show up every day and, and be with them and be what they needed me to be. And, and I don't, and, and I don't mean that in a way of like, uh, they need me to be like perfect, or they need me to be something that I'm not, they needed me just to be who I am. And it was, I had never recognized that before. And so when I finally um, stopped being like the little wounded girl in the family, I stepped into being a woman. And and I just like, I, I, it's what he deserved. It's what they all deserved. They needed me. And so, so I did my best to show up and, um, and to like actually pull a chair up to the table and have a seat at the table with everyone. And, 
And I think what was um, so important in that, and, and I just, I didn't realize this until, until I did it, is that it was like they all had a collective sigh, like they had been waiting for me. That's so beautiful. It just feels like that coming home moment. I had like an exhale in my body, like they've been waiting for you to just come home as your authentic self. Like the masks are off. This is, this is me. Yeah. Just me, you know, the woman that I am. Yeah. And, and the realization of like, oh, the only person getting in the way of that was myself. It wasn't them. It was me. It was me and what I perceived them to think of me and that I hadn't really given them a full chance, you know? And so that's just, that was a really big, um, that was a big aha moment for me in not only recognizing like, oh, they've been waiting for me, but in actually stepping forward as myself, I didn't realize this either. But I, it was what I was waiting for in myself. And so it was, it was actually a deep step of self-acceptance. Oh, beautiful. That self-acceptance mm -hmm. is so key. And it's like self-acceptance in our pain, in our grief, in our, all the facets of us. It's just when we can fully accept ourselves, it feels like we're home within. Mm -hmm. And then that can mirror out to our external world as well mm -hmm. yeah yeah and so that coming home to the self and just it, it felt like a, a you know the wounded little girl just like you said the inner maiden had rose into this this woman who who she mm -hmm. is who you are this woman mm -hmm. and so with kind of going to one of your concepts that you use the hunting in the dark and living in the light that hunting in the dark aspect, how is that pivotal? And, and maybe if you just want to explain briefly what that, that means for everybody. Yeah. But to that, like for you to come home, you know. Yeah, the hunting in the dark, um, well, that 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 pairing, hunt in the dark and live in the life, um, there's a little bit, uh, the hunt in the dark part came first. And um that actually came to me. So I, I, I do, um, I do therapy with, uh, and med um, with psychedelics and medicine. And so that came through in a, um, in a medicine journey with a woman that I was working with while my dad was, um, what I was working with her quite frequently when my dad was not, um, well. And so the hunt in the dark, so that comes from, how would I best explain that? I've always found that the most difficult times and the darkest spells have, are packed with the most rich, they have the most richness to them. And even in, in, um, you know, day to day when I find myself being triggered by something or someone else, 
what I'm working on now, rather than being like, like they did this. I'm working on why am I triggered by this? What is it that is blocking me? What is it that is causing that? Like, what am I covering up? What is in the dark right now? And so I, I like the idea of like hunting in the dark, going looking for what, what needs to be found. And um, so it's, it's got sort of like this panther, jet black jaguar vibe to it for me. And, um, and so the hunt in the dark was, was very much around, you know, when, when my dad was, was um, passing is like to be in that pain and to, to find the richness in that pain. And, and it's not to be swallowed by the pain or to be stuck to the ground in the pain, but it's to like, just allow it to move through you. And, um, and I got to say, like choosing to be beside my dad, um, especially daily in the, in the last month of his life. Um, it was the most difficult thing I've ever done. It was the most painful experience I've ever had, but it was the most purposeful thing I've ever experienced. And I've, and I felt like I had lived in purpose for many years in my life and nothing compares to the purpose I felt of being with my, my dad and with my family during this horrendously terrible time. And, um, I wouldn't trade it for anything. I wouldn't trade it for anything. So to, to like have that it's, it's not avoiding. It's a, it's an act of, of it's actively not avoiding something um, just because it feels dark or painful. It's, it's actually going into it. And that. then, mm -hmm. sorry, go ahead. Yeah. It's just, it's like going into the depths of darkness or just moving into bypassing or avoiding where it's all Mm -hmm. love and light it's like we we go into the darkness and we bring the unseen into the scene and then we can yeah in that it's usually like a, a, a release or something is alchemized into a different form or however it wants to take shape but it, it allows that depth where our light is greater as well the dark the light it, it's all part of it and you know in my experience um, psychedelics or medicine can take us into those places that maybe we're not seeing in our mm -hmm. day to day, it can take us into our blind spots, or it feels like those deep totally. crevices in the, in the psyche that want to be seen, but just don't know how to come to the light. And so the, the medicine yeah. can allow. Yeah, it's lighting up like new pathways, right? Yeah. yeah. And, and the, so the, the live in the light part also came from <laughs> their medicine um, journey is that it was after after shortly after my dad passed away, um, that came to me as live in the, uh, I'm sorry, hunt in the dark, and, but, but live in the light. So when the light is there, like live in it. And so I think that that's a really important balance is, um, is yes, there is grief. Yes, there is pain. And yes, there are moments to um, days of like being stuck to the couch and not being able to, to get up. Um, not being able to really uh, having a hard time even caring for oneself and for when the light strikes is to to bask in that and to find joy in life again um, which I 
I think people have a hard time when they've experienced tremendous loss is that that permission to step back into the light. Yeah, that like permission to celebrate and be in joy and mm-hmm. just that gratitude, it, it, it's part of it as well. And, and, you know, for you having a great loss, there, there might have been that, you know, edge where you didn't want to come back into the light or, or maybe people don't give themselves permission to stand in the light. And we see that in society too. We don't often celebrate ourselves or acknowledge our accomplishments. We're always kind of looking for mm-hmm. what's wrong so we can give ourselves permission to be like, I'm a freaking amazing or however that wants Mm -hmm. to show up like celebration of the self and just Mm -hmm. basking in that and standing fully in our light as well. You know, society's kind of brought us into these places where we dim ourselves to fit in and what it felt like when you were speaking about with your family and just showing up at the table fully as you are, that felt like standing in your light as opposed to maybe um, holding yourself back in, in any way or, I'm going to use the term dimming to fit in that might not resonate, but just holding pieces of ourselves back. And it's like, if we're living in the light, we're showing up in all of it. And that's, I I think, you know, such a beautiful invitation of what we came here to do is like be our full, authentic, raw, messy, all of it. So totally, totally. Yeah. 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 For you. And I don't know if this feels, um, like you're, you're in a space where you have received this medicine yet. Um, I know with my dad's passing, it was very sudden. It was 20 years ago. There was so many lessons that I received from that, but it took many years to see that. Mm. And so death can be such a teacher for Mm. us. Are there lessons that you've cultivated or it's like, not yet, you know, they're not there yet. Um, yes, there, there definitely have been lessons. I, I think, um, I, I, I've said that, and I felt that there were, I was given many gifts during, um, during it was, it was five months from the time he was diagnosed to when he passed and, and, um, and it was really hard for me to, to um I guess reckon with that that um that I had that I was given so many gifts in this very difficult uh loss because it felt like the price was far too too much to pay and so it was really hard for me for a long time it's I can feel it in me that it still is a little bit hard for me to accept that and um but, but I'm, I'm trying. And so I, I think, um, well, one, one thing that I, a gift that I was given is, is I didn't, I actually didn't know what I was capable of and the care I was capable of giving, um, and the strength that I, I had inside of me. And, um, this sounds so it sounds sort of obnoxious, but I feel like I did a really good job with care, like with being there and caring for my, for my, my dad. And, and, um, I feel like I did a really good job of making sure I did the things that I needed to do every day in order to do that. And so that was, 
that was a, a big gift for me is to to see what I was capable of and um and another gift that I had I haven't really talked about this very often actually um was you know like I I come from a family that's that's very northern very like outdoorsy actual hunters <laughs> and um and that was, you know, they had this, this lifestyle of, of hunting, fishing, trapping, like really being on the land. And we grew I grew up rurally and they all still lived really rurally. And, and so when, when we had the funeral, there was a slideshow of all these photos and it's a lot of photos of my dad with my brothers, um, doing these outdoorsy things. And, and I remember feeling like a little bit um sad that there weren't more photos of my dad and I and um and then his 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 best friend and another fella got up and did the obituary and they shared about um what their experience of of one grew up with my dad and the other one was more my age and sort of looked to my dad as like another father figure and and the things that they shared about my dad and, and like the things that they respected the most in him, it occurred to me that, um, that I wasn't the, the, like, I was in those photos because my I'm so much of my dad. And, um, so, so like understanding that he, he lives on through me and that he's actually, he's actually closer to me now than ever because he's just he's just right here always um I don't have to travel to see him he's right here with me so th that was that was a big um that was a big learning or gift or um just sort of moment that I an understanding that I really am glad that I I was able to grasp and can appreciate um Another really big learning I think that comes to mind was that in that in those few months was that honesty, though it was risky, was so important. And and just like what I mean by that, the risk of like actually showing up as who you are can feel really risky, especially when this person that you care for and love so deeply is dying. Um, when you don't know if you have tomorrow. Right. And so in, and in doing that and taking that risk, it actually deepened um, connection. And it also, again, came back to that active self acceptance. Beautiful. It's just that like showing up in your authenticity can be so uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. There can be resistance, but what a beautiful gift mm -hmm. to your dad and your family. And I love that. Like you're so much closer to him now because he lives within you. And it's like God lives within you, within mm -hmm. us. And it's like, you know, coming back to yoga, that can be a portal into those spaces or there's so many mm -hmm. different ways to come into those spaces um mm -hmm. 
and we meet ourselves in those spaces, but we also meet the divinity and, and our loved ones. Mm -hmm. that so mm, that's beautiful. Thank you for sharing. And so, you know, with the, the lessons that you've cultivated kind of these past two years with the passing of your father, the grief that has come with that and, and in our society, we have been in the past very much conditioned to kind of just get on with it, soldier on, mm -hmm. whatever that looks like, not really holding the spaces for ourselves or for others to go into that really deep grief process. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I know with your, your work, it's like the grief can be a pathway to the self or anger can be a pathway mm -hmm. to the self. Um, there's another, another word that you used in one of your social posts that I use, like damage can be a pathway to the self. And so what do those look like when we use our anger, our grief, our sadness, our tears, these aspects that might've been deemed as more shadow realms or, mm -hmm. you know, things that we kept tucked within or behind closed doors. It's like when we give ourselves permission to actually go into those spaces, something lies beneath that. And it's usually ourselves that lie, lie beneath us, beneath mm -hmm. that, beneath the well of grief or, or however it shows up. And so, yeah, anger is a teacher, grief is a teacher. What comes up for you around that? Um, hmm. I mean, I definitely, uh, there was a lot of anger. Yeah, there was a lot of, a lot of anger. And, um, and I think what I, I guess the, I, I knew I had to kind of like dispose of it, but not in a way of like, oh, I don't want to deal with this or like, just get it out of here. It was, it was a, I knew I needed to dispose of it in a, in a way that it actually was like, sort of like, it felt like it felt like I was boiling from the inside out. Like it was boiling to my skin and I had to like exert myself to get it out of me. And so that meant going into, um, into a space where nobody could hear me, where there was nobody around. It was very private space, like away from all other buildings and, um, like screaming, yelling, like just physically moving it out of my body. And, and I don't, it was, <laughs> I remember doing that and I would do it regularly. I, I was really lucky to have full access to a yoga studio that was not operating because of COVID. So I just like would go in there every single day and move my body. And the like yoga practice actually like physical asana wasn't really part of that regime for me at that time, because it just actually wasn't enough. It was, it was too soft. Like when I, when I needed softness, that was like being still and being in bed, like letting myself like, like kind of just like cocoon. Whereas when I needed, when I moved, I needed exertion. I needed to push out all of the shit that was like getting stuck in me, all of the pain and all of the, it just, all, all of it was just stuck. And, and so using movement and vo like my voice and physicality to um to like it's like almost like an exorcism because when I would be with my family when we were going through so much 
that wasn't the appropriate place to always emote. And it's not to say that it's not, I'm not saying it's wrong to emote. It just wasn't always what was best. And sometimes it was very appropriate for me to cry. And it also gave other people permission to cry, um, especially my dad. And, but it was not always appropriate for me to be crying when I needed to be clear about how I was taking care of others. Right. And so to, to put myself into a room where I could just offload everything was such, um, it was so cathartic for me. And then I think, you know, after my dad passed away, it was the part of the grieving process for me, which I don't think people get is I, because there were, the studios were shut down, I hadn't worked in almost a year. So I chose not to pursue working for a good two and a half, three months. And I gave myself time to sit and to lie on the couch, to write, to meditate, to move my body, to go outside, to just like, kind of hunker down with myself. And I think that the benefit of that with my grieving process was substantial. And I honestly, I don't know what this person, me, would look like or feel like if I hadn't had that chance. I hadn't hadn't taken that time for myself to really um to allow the feelings to come through. And so that was grief and yes, that was anger and it was also a lot of exhaustion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It sounds like just actually showing up for yourself in whatever capacity that was and just being with what wanted to move, you know, in our society, oftentimes it's, you just go to work, you work and work, mm-hmm. and work, hustle, hustle, hustle. You don't even have time to sit with like, how do I actually feel? right now like what is in me you know and and to go into those spaces so allowing yourself or giving yourself permission to go into those spots allows for the grief to do what it needs to do as opposed to maybe band-aiding it and it shows years and years yeah and same with the anger and I think it's so powerful to recognize like our anger holds truths for us because it teaches us thing things it might teach mm-hmm. us where we need to bring in boundaries or you mm-hmm. know what we're a hell yes to or what we're a hell no to and it also it's it's an energy that wants to move and when you're speaking about that like cathartic like just like ha huh, like I'm getting this out it's like that kalima fierce energy mm-hmm. this needs to move and there's always something beneath it that wants to move. And, and then at the end of it, there's truth beneath it. There's mm-hmm. what is actually in alignment or, or what. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that I received a lot of clarity um, in that, that the, the time, the period of time from when my dad passed and, and the, the couple, two, three months that followed where I really, I would spend hours journaling and, and like, moving things out of me and processing things and um and 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 just like that's where I really started to recognize that my dad was right there with me right and 
And so I, I think he, he really played a, a big part and he really had, you know, I, I do believe that he's here with me and he's working with me. And, um, but I, I feel like in that two to three months after where I did take my time is that I did come into a greater sense of clarity and, um, there of, of, you know, how to go forward. I came into a greater, um, a greater sense of myself. Like, I just, I don't feel, I feel like, I don't feel like I'm the same person as I was before. And, and I, I say that I don't, I don't believe that we become different people. I believe we come more of who we are. And so I guess that that's it is I, I feel like that fire that we went through, it trued me and it's not perfect. There's still so much to do, but I do feel like that, like going through the fire, it's like, it trued me. Um, it, it's kind of like it, it, it's purifying, it's, it's cleansing, it's transformational. And, and I do think that that was a gift that, that came with, with that big, big loss. It's like that initiation where we alchemize into a new form of ourselves, but it's really an mm. unbecoming because it's a remembering of, of who yeah. we always were. And, you know, with plant medicine, if it feels aligned to, to speak about it, if it doesn't, that's totally there too. But what has the journey with plant medicine kind of awakened within you? Like, what is it like almost like mm. the, those keys, you know, we were giving keys on our path to unlock different portals. Has the plant medicine awakened anything within you or would that have come, you know, other species? Yeah. You know what? I think it has. And, and so the first time I, I like, I was quite late to the game. I mean, I, you know, like I wasn't, I was pretty late to the game. It, I was, it wasn't something that I really did as a teenager or, you know, what I, like recreationally, I mean. And so it wasn't until, gosh, I was probably, man, how old am I? <laughs> I don't know. I was in my early 30s. Let's just say that the first time I, I experienced this microdosing psilocybin. And it was in a more recreational context, but it was like in a, with a group of individuals that lived more in a spiritual, they were on a more of a spiritual path. Right. So, um, and, and I remember we were like riding bikes along the Vancouver seawall. This is before I, um, before I moved to Vancouver and, and just being like, Whoa, everything's like just like a little bit more crisp and a little bit more shiny. And it was just very subtle, but, but significant. And it's just such a beautiful, that day was just such a beautiful memory to me. And, and before I had, I did microdose with, with this, these two individuals, I was pretty nervous. And so they kind of, they kind of gave me some information around, you know, what, what you know that there's like more um, studies and science emerging around what this can do for our our neural health and how it can you know they shared a story about a fellow that they read about how it it 
how his micro dosing started to incrementally change his life from like a very mundane way of living into like a more like a, he, he, in a course of a year, I think it was, he went from being an accountant to like being like alive in life and, and have, you know, engaging with more people and developing a social circle and just like really getting into like the juice of life. And, and so I was sort of, you know, intrigued by that. And so it didn't sound dangerous. It was just a microdose. And sure enough, I had this really like shimmery experience. And so it, it caught my attention and I started to, you know, look into it some more. And I, I read a number of books and started dabbling a little bit more with um, microdosing more, more frequently and, and then more into uh, like a prescribed routine of microdosing. And, and I, and so, and then I moved to Vancouver. And so I actually think that that experience while visiting Vancouver sort of like cracked something open in me for moving into a direction that was more um, aligned with what I wanted in my life versus what I was doing in my life. And so as somebody who is prone to, um, to working a lot um, and to like really driving myself, it, it moved me off of, I won't say entirely, but it moved me off of the direct, like this like train of path that I was on that was very like career focused and goal oriented. And it just sort of like course corrected me and to a degree where it was like, you know, when I moved to Vancouver, I gave the, you know, I was like, well, I'm moving here for my career. When the truth was I was moving because I wanted the lifestyle. I wanted to live on the West coast, but I wasn't giving myself permission to do that. And so I think this, the, the microdosing just started to like open up and touch on new, um, neural pathways that help, that help me to align with what is actually mine. And so that's the thing that I find really substantive about working with with psychedelics with with medicine is that um i mean there's there's more and more science and study around this of what it does for our brain in such a positive way and and the entropy the chaos that it creates in the brain and such in in the way that it 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 encourages us to make new pathways so it's not chaos and in the framework of like something's wrong, but in the framework of something is going right and that we're, we're getting off of the rails. It's, I'd like to think about it as like, you know, if you live in a city for a long time and you drive to your office every day, you always take the same route. And if you always take the same route, you miss the rest, the entire rest of the city. So what I see psychedelics as, and I also see meditation as, is it takes you into a new route. And it opens you up to the rest of the city and the rest of like what else lives there. And so that's how I see psychedelics in terms of microdosing. Now, going into greater journeys with psychedelics, um, that's been really helpful for me um, with, you know, I was working with a woman quite frequently when my dad was passing and, and that helped me. I think that the thing that it helped me the most with is like, it just, it helped, this might sound 
wild to somebody who hasn't done psychedelics, but it wasn't like I was in this, these sessions and, and tripping. But what happened for me is I, like, I would get these like very clear messages and like one specifically was like, go home now, like right now, go home. And it like was me getting off of like out of that room, booking a flight and leaving the next morning to find that it was like a very important time for me to be home with my dad and that things were, were slipping and I needed to see that because I just needed to see that. And, and so so I'm so grateful for that message because I would have missed a, a pretty important period of time in, in the last, um, you know, weeks of his life. Um, so, so there's something in that where there's just like a knowing that can come through. I also worked with psychedelics after my dad passed away and this was with a, a different fellow, um, and I'm not, I, I don't necessarily want to go into the details of it because it was very, um, it was very deep, but what I will say is that it was so significant in me being able to process the loss of my father. Um, because in the, 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 the actual moment of losing my father, there was so much of me taking care of things. So to be able to go back through a psychedelic journey and to be with that moment again was just, it was so significant and to, to integrate the loss. And so I'm just, I'm such a huge advocate for psychedelics. And I will also say that I I also don't think it is for everyone. And I also firmly um, believe that it's something that should be used with integration and, and, you know, proper support and um, for it to have that, to have the, for it to have the meaning that, that it can have and for it to offer the shifts and the changes that it's very capable of doing for people. It brings me back to just earlier on in the conversation, like we all have our unique pathways and, you know, woven thread that threads that create our journey. And so plant medicine is, is one of them, but it's not for everybody, just like you said. And mm -hmm. I'm just curious when I, um, I journeyed in a, a ceremony with ayahuasca once, and it was very, very clear for me that the medicine was calling. And so I don't know if that's been your experience. Has that been your experience where it's like these medicines call us if it's the right time, if it's the right place, if it's meant for our soul's growth, they will show up. Yeah, I do. Um, I do. I, that resonates with me. I have not um, I have not done ayahuasca. There's, there's a number of um, plant medicines that I haven't done because I don't feel called to them yet. And I may never, and that's, I'm okay with that. Um, psilocybin is, is the one that calls most to me. And um, it calls to me in, in funny ways. Um, for example, I'll just share this funny story with you. So when I was back home while my dad was, um, passing, 
my parents have this big bookshelf in their living room and it's sort of like where all of these kind of unusual but special books live and kind of like family trinkets and heirlooms uh heirlooms live and so it's it's like this special shelf and one day I was looking through it and I was pulling out like books on you know our our family and I was reading through them and I went a couple days later I went to put the books back and there was a field guide to mushrooms sitting on the shelf that hadn't been pulled out before and I was like, oh, that's weird. Because it's a shelf that nobody really uses, right? It's more like we look at. So like, oh, that's weird. So I pick up and I open it. And the first page that I open to is, is psilocybin. And so I'm like, whoa, okay, that's so interesting. And, and I had started sharing with my mom about my interest in psychedelics. And at first she was like, oh, boy, that's a lot. <laughs> you know? But she warmed up to it after I explained to her, you know, what it like what it is, what it can do, why it's important. And, and I had shared with her that I was like, I am interested in working with it with others. I have been for some time. And she was like, you should do that. Da, 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 da. And, I, and then I shared with her, I was like, oh, it's so interesting. I found this book, this field guide to mushrooms on the bookshelf the other day pulled out. And I said, do you mind if I, if I take that? And she said, she's like, oh, of course you can take that. I don't know why, but I pulled that out the other day and I just, I pulled it out and just put it back down again. So yeah, I, I've never used that book by all means. take it. So it's just like this, you know, like the, there's that synchronicity of it just, it just like, to me, there, that's just, um, that's it. Like, that's how it calls to you. That was just such a calling to me of like, continue using this. Like even your mother who is, this is completely foreign to her is feeding this to you essentially. Yeah. Right. It's getting that really clear guidance. And I think that's so like, we're always receiving the guidance, but what the yogic path, what, whichever path we're on or however it's weaving we're opening ourselves more and more to yeah. see the guidance and that deep listening and you know I had such clear guidance with ayahuasca which it sounds like for, that was clear definite clear guidance for you with psilocybin and and so I had that one ceremony and she has never called me again oh wow have, but I is just uh no she she's not reaching out anymore and yeah that, I think you know just touching on the integration piece and also the deep respect for the medicine. You mm -hmm. know, if she's not calling, listen to that. If it is yeah. calling, listen to that, but in a really embodied, respectful way where you're mm -hmm. in deep relationship with the medicine, you know, our yeah. society tends to overconsume. consume yes. so many times, you know, on my, on my path and, when we're in right relationship with something, it's that deep respect going both ways and integration and um, deep listening to the self, mm -hmm. to, the, to the medicine. So yeah, beautiful. So with all of that <laughs> lessons, the learnings all along the path, how does that show up in the work that you're offering today? Oh, good question. I hadn't been teaching for it. I took quite a bit of time before I came back to teaching. And in that time, 
I've been really looking at um, the longevity of what I want to do in the in the world. Like what what is that I what is it that I want to create, and how can I have how can what I do and what what is it that I want that is in me to that I'm bringing out of myself to have impact impact on the world. And so for me, it's come back to, um, you know, those practices that, that morning ritual routine of, um, like these touchstones and, and like the movement, the mindfulness and the writing. And so that's what I'm, I've been working on a body of work for the past number of months and I'm getting very close to putting it out into the world. Um, for yeah sort of this like even though I do I call it ritual and routine and and how we're speaking right now and I also see it as as like it's a utility like these practices are a utility and so something that is like near and dear to me is that the practices aren't precious life is precious so practice for life right and so that's what I'm I'm that's been really informing the body of work that I'm all I'm getting closer to putting out into the world. And, um, and so aside from that, but also intertwined with that is stepping back into coaching more pointedly and working with people more pointedly and actually like making more of a effort to, to connect with people. Um, I really enjoy working one-on-one with individuals. I really enjoy working with groups. So that will be that I have a retreat coming up in Tofino in March, and that's where it will combine the, the working with groups in a, in a coaching sort of format layered in with philosophy layered in, with some neuroscience and then layered in with different movement modalities like movement therapies that I worked with a lot in myself when I was um you know during and since the passing of my dad and and then of course like the the pulling in of the writing and the processing and so I'm basically just working at marrying all of these things together that have meant so much to me that I find to be so fascinating, so interesting, and so important. Um, so, so that's how that's where my work is at right now in terms of like what will be outward facing. And then there's always the work that I'm doing on myself. It's never ending. That's so true. We are always teachers and students to this mystery mm-hmm. called life. We're always diving into the the realms and life throws us these initiations we'll call them or totally balls or rips the rug out from underneath us and it's it's almost like we go into that next layer to deepen the work within ourselves to then birth that out into the world to guide others into those spaces or totally yeah yeah Yeah. and I that that's you what you said is just it is like the past you know, year and a bit has been some deep, deep darkness. And 
deep hunting, <laughs> a lot of hunting in the dark. And, and I do feel like it's birthing something there. There's something coming out from that. And, um, I'm really, it like is very much alive in me and I'm really excited about that. Yeah. Beautiful. It's like that everything, you know, the Phoenix rises from the, the ashes and you've, you've cultivated some ashes and now it's like, what's wanting to birth from that space. Yeah. Yeah. Really beautiful and exciting. So do you have any other offerings that are coming up or the retreat in Tofino is the big one? Yeah. The retreat in Tofino is the big one. I am, um, you know, I have, I've opened up some time to work with clients one-on-one. Um, so that, that is a, an, an offering that I'm really happy to be stepping back into. Um, again, I just, I wanted to give myself some time to be with myself before going back out into the world again. And then the other thing is, I guess, would be to keep an eye out for the next thing that's going to (laughs) surface, which I'm, I'm really excited about. Yeah. 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 Well, everybody will, the, in the show notes will be where everybody can follow Randell and her teachings and everything. So keeping an eye out for that, like rising of, of what it, what it's going to look like. I'm so excited for you. And and maybe, oh yeah, go for it. Yeah. Oh, I was just going to say, um, and maybe in, by the time the podcast comes out, I'll have a new website for you to link. So TBD. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds exciting. So what has been the biggest lesson that you've learned along the way? Um, to come out from hiding. Yeah. That like people, the people who love you and, and need you are waiting for you. So to stop hiding. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. And how do you experience the mysteries? How do I experience the mysteries? Hmm. I mean, I think psychedelics has been a a big experience of that. Plant medicine has been a big experience of that. Um, Movement is, um, that's a very magical thing for me. And nature, getting out into nature, that's just, that's something that I don't do enough of. I'm hoping to, you know, access that more soon. And what else for mysteries? I guess I think of mysteries as just like the magic in life of, I I think of my dad as a, a, uh, I see my dad as now as a bald eagle and like these bald eagles just showing up for me when I need them. Um. That's been really special and that life just has a way of, of being there for you, even when it's, when it's tough, um, if you're willing to see it. So I, I guess you have to be willing to see the magic and, and it's a practice and, but it's a, it's a worthwhile practice. Yeah, it's like honest eyes or opening your eyes, removing the veil that maybe keeps you separate and just seeing mm-hmm. what is all around us. And that like bald eagle, it's just those signs that we're always 
receiving from the universe when Mm -hmm. we're open to see Mm -hmm. them. Yeah. Yeah. And so last question, how do you root into the self? Um, my, the biggest thing I do for myself is, um, yeah, it's really is my morning practices like that morning hour. And I try to, I actually, ideally I'm getting like three hours in, in the morning. Uh, I'm an early riser, but just having this like pocket in the day that is just so just my own uninterrupted and using that time for what it is that I need. And usually it's, um, movement, meditation, and writing. Those are just, they're so key for me in feeling the most in my own skin. And then also being able to step into the day as like, as myself, which is like who we are, is what, what is needed. And so that's like, that's our best selves. And so that's, that's how I ground and um, so showing up for myself so I can show up for others. Beautiful. Thank you, love. Is there any little nuggets that you want to add to our conversation before we close? Anything I didn't touch on that's wanting to come up? Oh, gosh. Um, thank you. Yeah. Pleasure. Thank you for reaching out. Um, really, really appreciate all of the work and content you put out and um, yeah, I just, I really, I really feel like we're long overdue for more, for more of the um, embrace of, of dark darkness and, and the full spectrum of what life is. Yeah. We're so ready for it. Mm -hmm. It's like the, yeah. Yeah. Just, acknowledging accepting being with it all allows for those depths to really get cultivated and what a gift to show up on this planet in this life truly as we are as opposed to some watered down version whoa yeah (laughs) imagine we all we all were there oh my gosh I feel like I've just like touched the tip of the iceberg Mm. and and that's actually also like very exciting for me like if it was done I don't know what done could even be, but I like, I love like looking in and being like, Oh, that trigger is still there. What does that mean? (laughs) Oh, that's still there. What does that mean? Um, Yeah. 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 It's like letting life teach us what what we came here to experience. So thank you so much love for this beautiful conversation and all the links and everything will be in the show notes to reach out to Randell. And yeah, I look forward to, yeah, continuing to walk with you on this path. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me for an episode of the Phoenix rising podcast. Please like share, download, subscribe if you enjoyed this episode and I will See you next week for another episode on the Phoenix Rising podcast. Sending so much love.